would somebody please lead us in a prayer as we uh, just consider uh, how the Lord might uh, call us and use us uh, in the workplace. Give us somebody would like to pray for us. Sure. Lord, just thank you for this weekend. Thank you for the opportunity to look at what your word has said about how we um, should live our lives, Lord. I pray that we would take take the opportunities that you give us in life, Lord, that we would not waste the time that we have here on earth, but that we would really honor you as we go throughout our days, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. Well, as as Matt said in the introduction, my name's Kirk Ahmet. I teach. I'm a teacher. Um... I want to talk to you about the uh, power of the story of our life, or maybe paradigm is maybe another word that we've, that we've heard, how we think about things. And uh, of course, we're talking about how, specifically how we think about our work, our vocation as a, as a Christian. And then I want to tell you about two kind of errors in my own story. Um, let's see, I'll call the first one uh, City on a Hill Thinking. This is just to help you kind of know where we're going. And then I'll call the second one the Christianizing of work. I'm I'm going to spell it like that. Is that all right? All right. Uh, But first, story. What what do you mean by the power of story? Walk through this little illustration with me. Let's say, I love coffee. Any meeting I can have um, at a coffee shop, I try to have it. I always have coffee with me. Um, let's say let's say we're at your favorite coffee shop, even if you don't like coffee. <laughs> and you're sitting, you got your backpack there, and you got your coffee, and you're waiting on your muffin or whatever's coming. And you're gonna work on your homework, your school, you got your school stuff there. And all of a sudden this 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 lady, this young girl that you've never met before, sits down right across from you, and she's very excited, and she's looking at you and looking at the backpack, and she reaches over and grabs your backpack. She starts looking at it and she says, oh man, this is perfect, this is, this is great. She's really excited. And you're, never, you're thinking, who is this person? I've never met this person. There's a lot of ways you can think about that situation. And the way you interpret what's happening is gonna really affect what you do next, right? You could think, uh, I was just thinking about this the other way down, you could think, um, this lady, this girl really likes backpacks. I mean, she, she loves backpacks. And she obviously has really good taste because she likes my bag. <laughs> I mean, you could, if you have a little time, you could think, well, I'm just going to talk to her a little bit. Yeah, I'm just, yeah, I like that backpack. I got it here. You know, I'm just going to have a little fun conversation. I mean, I appreciate her enthusiasm. She's kind of a bubbly person. You could think, maybe, let's say, maybe just move to Bozeman from a bigger town. Like my daughter goes to school in Chicago. Maybe just. You know, that happens downtown Chicago, you're like, you know, you start looking for the, the, uh, the, sec- the accomplice, you know, because she's distracting me, and now who's coming behind me? Somebody's going to take something. Uh, you could ask, start asking for help. You know, you could back away. You could uh, say, hey, put that backpack down. I mean, you might, you might feel threatened. You could say a third option. You could say, uh, you could think, I bet she just bought a backpack like this on Craigslist. And this is, I just happened to be at the place where they were going to meet. She thinks that I'm the seller and she wants, that she's happy and she sees the back. You know, and you might think, oh, I think I'm going to sell my backpack if I need, if I need cash. <laughs> so the way you interpret what happens. 
Um, Brad, uh, Brad Bigney is somebody I listen to a lot. Some of you may know know him and his ministry. Tim Keller, another person I like to listen to. Brad talks about this. He says, we're all theologians. If you don't know Brad Bigney, he uh, comes and does the biblical counseling sessions in the summer. Um, we're all theologians. We're all trying to make sense of our life. Um, Dallas Willard uh, teaches uh, philosophy at University of Southern California. He died recently. But he, for a long time he taught philosophy and he taught, uh, he was a Christian apologist working at the University of Southern California. And uh, he taught these wonderful classes, he wrote these beautiful books. Uh, one that I'm reading now is called Renovation of the Heart. And he does a study on what the, what the soul is in, in people. And he starts with the Bible and then he uses lots of theologians, St. Augustine, Thomas More, all the reformers, just all through history, he reviews all of these writings about what is the soul. And uh, he talks about this too, that the soul, the essence of who we are, the, de the decisions that we make, you know, we're not a part of the animal kingdom. There's a stimulus and then there's our response, but there's a gap between everything that happens to us, we're processing. We're trying to, we're putting it into a story. We're, we're responding based on what we think we're supposed to do, how we think life is supposed to go. You may think, you're like, yeah, and, uh, and I'm a Christian, which means I'm following the Bible, so I think I'm pretty good on my story, my context. I just, you know, just, you know, get, tell us what the Bible says about work, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm, you know, I've kind of decided the Bible is my authority, so I'm good on story. I want to tell you that having been a Christian for a couple more decades than, than you, <laughs> and having worked outside the church, which is kind of the focus of this conference, right? A vocation outside, maybe outside the church or in the world, so to speak. It's really easy to think you've got the right story and how your work is going to, how you should do your work as a Christian. But it can be wrong, and I'm going to share two er two errors that the Lord has gracious graciously shown me over the years. And just see if you can maybe identify with those and maybe just put them in your thinking as you think about how you're going to live out your vocation, your calling as a Christian. Because again, I went into teaching as a Christian, thinking, I'm doing this, I'm, I'm, I'm reading my Bible every day, I'm praying, I'm, I'm going to live out my Christian faith. And I had errors, still have errors. And you do too. You might not think. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, sorry to break it to you. But it's hard to work this out. You know, we're supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who works in you. Remember Paul saying it, uh, I don't know, it was the very end of his life, near the end of his life. Not that I have already achieved all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on. You know, that's where we are. You're going to have errors in the way you think about your vocation. I want to share two of them that, that I've had and continue to work on. Okay, first, first one I call City on a Hill. Okay, again, this is, this is the power of our story, how we think about what we're supposed to be doing in work and vocation, and these are a couple of errors that were in mind that I had to change, because how we think about it is going to directly affect what we do, and that's very important. City on a Hill. Okay, City on a Hill kind of goes like this. Just imagine you're kind of in this situation. You, you graduate from whatever you're currently doing, you're ready to go to work, uh, you're going to jump into this job, you are going to be God's representative in this job. 
you are going to, when people see you do your work as an electrician, as a construction worker, as a banker, as a financier, whatever, as a teacher, they're going to see God doing how God would do this job. You know, how Jesus would do it if he, what would Jesus do? You're going to, you're going to be an example. You're going to be a city on a hill. People are going to see what you do and they're going to say, man, that, that's, that's attractive. Uh, what, what gives you the strength to do that? And then you're going to witness and you're going to say, I'm giving God the glory. You know, it's the athlete that they win and they say, I just, I just want to give God the glory for He gave me the ability. We're going to do our work well and give God the glory. Is there anything wrong with that? There could be. <laughs> it's not, you know, it's not totally wrong. Sometimes that may happen. Sometimes that may be how it goes for you. And probably for seasons of your life it will. But there's an error in there, and I think if I, if I tell you the stories that show the error, I think you'll see what I mean. And if you could just remember this, maybe it'll help you. Um, when I was first started teaching, I kind of had that, basically that attitude. Not all bad, not all that uncommon. I'm sure a lot of you think the same way, kind of about what you, what you plan to do. So I walk into this classroom of junior high kids. You know, a lot of people want to teach until they meet the students. And they don't want to teach anymore. Uh, junior high music. I'm teaching junior high music. I'm 22 years old. I don't have a music room, so it's not like they come to me and I've got everything set up. I go into their classroom. Their teacher leaves, you know, 25, 26, 30 kids sitting at desks. Their teacher walks out. I come in with my cart of music books and my keyboard and I'm going to teach music for 50 minutes. They think it's recess. You know, their teacher's gone. What am I going to do? I go room to room. I'm obviously young. I obviously don't know what I'm doing. Junior high kids, 13, 14 years, I mean, and, and again, they're sitting at desks. It's not like I can get them to get up and move. I gotta teach them music after, I gotta hand out a textbook. That's what I got to do, music. And it was bad. It was hard. It was hard. And these kids didn't you know what? I mean, some of them were sweet. Some of them wanted to listen to me, but most of them were just like, this is my 50 minutes to do whatever I wanna do. And I was so focused on wanting to teach the music wanting to serve my God by doing my job well. The thing that was missing was them. I was hating them. Not all of them. <laughs> <laughs> the ones that were goofing around, they drove me crazy. I mean, I'm thinking about them at night. I don't want to just take that kid. But, um, so I'm, I'm praying about these kids. I want to share with you the verse that the Lord showed me. And it just, he had, he, had, he had work to do in me. Imagine that, 22 years old. I've got things to learn, things to grow as a Christian. But what he showed me was uh, Ephesians 2. For he himself is our peace, Ephesians 2, verse 14, who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. I was feeling hostility. And the context of this, of course, is uh, Paul is saying that the Jewish people feel like they're God's people, they're the called ones, and the Gentiles, they're on the outside. But God, through his act of love and redemption on the cross, broken down the wall, the barrier of hostility. And I thought, you know what? These kids are lost. You know? <laughs> and they're evil. No. <laughs> they... I, I, this hostility that I'm feeling is actually the, one of the, th the things that God, that Jesus came to destroy. That He loves them. He loves me. We're on, we're on equal footing before God. My sin is as great as theirs. I had to learn this as a young Christian. So God was using my work to work on me 
rather than me doing my work to give God the glory and to show how this is done and, and all this kind of sitting on a hill thinking. Does that make some sense? Okay, uh, when I started teaching college, a, a girl wrote on her um, course evaluation after my first semester of teaching, big capital letters, she wrote, we are not stepping stones. I'm like, what? That didn't even make sense. I didn't even know what she was talking about. Ne the next year, a couple of students uh, started asking me, you know, are you, are you leaving? Like, no, I mean, I had applied to a couple of jobs, but I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't think I was treating them like stepping stones. They just thought, but somehow the way I was teaching, the way I was coming across, it was like, you're doing all this stuff, but you're not really doing it for us. That's a hard, that's a hard thing. It's kind of like the first lesson, right? It's like, I'm trying to teach this music, and this kid's driving, this kid's in my way, he's driving me crazy, and, and Jesus is saying, aren't you supposed to love the kids? You know, aren't you? I mean, I'm trying to do this job, but I'm not serving the people. Does that make sense? So I had a lot to learn. And then when this girl wrote, I think the Lord really used her to say she was seeing something. You know, she wasn't, as far as I know, she wasn't a believer, but I think the Lord used her, you know, kind of like speaking into your life. It's like, wow, I just, I didn't even know I was doing that. Uh, current position, because I just keep learning this, I'm a slow learner. <laughs> current position, a uh, guy joins a committee, faculty committee. He's the liaison to the university, an important position. He can, he can influence change. He comes into this committee new and he starts saying, hey, I think, we, I think we need to move this around. And I want him to defend what we're doing because it's important for our school. And the other people on the committee are kind of, you know, we're the kind of the school committee. He's sort of the liaison. So I interrupted him at the very first meeting. And I said, wait a minute, uh, are you saying that we should do this? And he said, yeah, I really think we should. I said, I don't think that's right. I said, I think we should go around the room and get everybody's opinion. And he was kind of like, because he was kind of running the meeting. You know, we went around the room and got, and everybody else, was, I could tell by the end, we got, they were kind of agreeing with me, but they were sort of hedging because they were like, oh, I'm just kind of uncomfortable now. And I thought, oh gosh, I, I think I blew it. So I, I have a Christian brother that I work with and I, he was in the meeting. I went to him and I said, hey, did I sin in that meeting? And he said, well, you, did, you didn't sin, but you were pretty adamant. <laughs> I said, that's a good word. So I, I texted the guy, the leader, and I said, I said hey, could we, could we talk? And he said, sure. And then before we're going to get together, he texted me back a long time. He said, you know, I don't think we should get together. I think we just disagree. And, uh, and he went on and on to kind of defend his position. And, oh, gosh, I, I, you know, I offended this. Right or wrong, apart from the issue, I, you know, I offended this guy. So I went to him and I said, hey, I didn't, I didn't mean to talk about, I didn't, I didn't want to talk about the issue again. I just wanted to say I'm sorry. I was in that meeting, I was too adamant, so I'm, I'm a little worried about what's going to happen. But as I processed that in my own heart, and I was praying about it, realized that, again, I'm trying to do something. I'm trying to do something. And if this change came, it was going to make my job harder. And I wasn't really standing up for the students in the school. I was, like, standing up for what I wanted to do, you know. And I think that's why I got angry. And that's why I sinned. That's why I was so adamant. And so now, so walk through this with me. So a young teacher, I hate my student. <laughs> Too strong words. You know what I mean? Like this kid's driving me crazy. Later teacher, uh, again, the students are like, you know, uh, you're using us as stepping stones, or that's how it feels to this one. And then now a colleague at work, I'm offending this colleague. It's not good. This is not good. This is not... Uh, being salt and light in the world. You see, you see what I'm trying to say? I, I, I'm a Christian. 
I, I believe that I'm saved. I believe Christ is in me. But I'm not doing His work through my work. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm, he's working. He has to work this out in me. Um, it's, a, it's an error in my story that I'm going to have to do something. And what I've had to realize is that you know, it's Christ that works in us, right? To will and to do His good pleasure. Um, it's His work. And I'm called to be a servant. Now my second point is going to basically be do your work well. It's going to be the second point. So these things work together because the solution is not, well, uh, don't try to do your work well. Don't be adamant. Uh, just love the people that you're with. Uh, don't worry about moving it forward. Don't worry about improving. Don't worry about doing your work to the glory of God. You know, and that, obviously that's not the answer, right? But this is hard. This is hard to sort through. Um, Tim Keller calls it a battle of orders. A battle of orders. It's not that uh, doing your work to the glory of God and doing it well is necessarily wrong. It's just it's out of order. And, and God was trying to show me how in my own life, in my own heart, it was out of order. So I want to share that little lesson with you. Maybe you could think about it. If you, if you kind of identify with that idea of uh, I'm going to do my work well and give God the glory and I'm going to achieve at it and it's going to be something good. Uh, t uh, again, Brad Bigney says God's not looking for us to be trophies for Him to put on His trophy case of how we do something well. That's not, that's not what it's about. So, be aware of that little subtle error that might creep into your story, how you interpret what your situation. Remember back to the uh, coffee shop? Okay, the second one, Christianizing your work. This is the idea that uh, as a Christian working in the world, the only thing that's of value is what is Christian. So, um, you know, only one life, it soon will pass, only what's done for Christ will last. You know, if I'm doing my job, that's really not so important. Uh, I need to give a tract and a witness to somebody or bring somebody in my work to church. Now I'm doing God's work in the world. That's, if it's Christian, then it's God's work. I want to encourage you. I'm just saying, I'm not suggesting you all think that, but maybe you think it at some little level. Okay, or maybe it's creeping into your story. I want to encourage you to be aware of that and see the danger of it and see how it's not true. Um, uh, uh, Tim Keller again. He, uh, if you don't know Tim Keller, look him up. Uh, it's just K-E-L-L-E-R. Listen to some of his stuff. It's great stuff. He has a big church in New York, and they have a whole center for life and work. And I think he's read a book that you guys... Uh, do you, have you guys been talking about a book that he wrote about work and life? Uh, it's a big part of his ministry in New York, New York City. And uh, he tells a story of a person who goes to his church who's a, a pilot. And he comes to him and says, I want to be the best Christian airline pilot I can be. How do I do that? And, and Tim Keller says his answer was... Anybody know? Land the plane. Land the plane. Land the plane. Land the plane. Land the plane in such a way it can be used again. Land the plane. Um, it's nice if you can give out uh, a Christian track or have uh, Christian music playing on the plane when people come in. If you want to do that, that's fine. But your job is to land the plane. Uh, who is the runner in Chariots of Fire? I've been getting his name right. Eric Little? Is that his name? Okay. Remember he said, God made me fast, and when I run fast, I feel his pleasure. Have you seen that movie? Um, when God, 
work is a part, in, in God's wisdom, work is a part of it. And it's not Christian work, just work. Um, you know, other accounts of creation have work. Pandora's box, one of the things that comes out of Pandora's box is work. It's like, like it's an evil unleashed on the world. Like, I hope, we, I hope we didn't wake up the baby. It's probably time for the baby to wake up. Um, <laughs> as, if, as if life was better without work. That's still with us today. I have students. I'm, I have students that say this. I'm going to get this job, and I'm going to work 70, 80 hours a week if I have to, and then I'm going to retire at age 40. Work is a bad thing. I'm going to get through it to live. Uh, Marduk, another Greek mythology, he, the, the gods create the world and they uh, see that it requires a lot of work. So Marduk says, we're going to create men to do the work. So, <laughs> the gods don't do the work. That's not the Christian understanding. Our God is in the dust doing manual labor creating Adam, right? Down in the dust. And he gives Adam and Eve work to do before the fall, right? To have dominion. God, work is a part of our, when we work and do our work well, we are in God's image. And it's good, just the work itself, no matter what it is, milking a cow, delivering packages, whatever it is, flying a plane, it's, if we do it well, it brings him, it, he's pleased, he's pleased. So we don't have to Christianize it. I'll tell you a story, of this it just happened this fall, give, put this in a little different light. I was, uh, I teach, um, I teach the choral methods class, so these are the kids that are going to want to be uh, choir teachers. Who knows why they ever want to do that, but they want to be going. So um, uh, we talk about doing sacred music in a secular context, because choral music oftentimes is a sacred text, and you're going to do it in a public school, and sometimes there are lawsuits. I've had to uh, go before a school board to defend things. Um, the Supreme Court cases that we talk about, uh, my, my professional organization, the American Choral Directors Association, has long statements about how to approach this issue. Um, and so we talk about this in class, right? And this sweet uh, young Christian lady, I don't think you guys know her, it's not Alethea, <laughs> although she's a music education major. Um, she, she, this other lady who you don't know, came up to me this fall and uh, after, kind of after this, we'd been talking about this in class and she's in choir and we're singing a song. Um, Moses Hogan's spiritual arrangement, Ride on King Jesus. It's a Ride on King Jesus, no one can hinder you, the conquering king, ride on King Jesus. She, she said, I just, I so enjoyed that class discussion, and uh, I just love it when you, when you pick this uh, Christian music for us to do, and we can sing Ride on King Jesus. She had this, you know, sweet little smile. And thought, <laughs> I, thought, I, was, I know what she means. I thought, oh, it's great, you know, but then, but she's uh, going to be a music educator, and, you know, and she was in the class, so I said, you know, um, I, don't, I didn't choose that song because I'm a Christian. I chose it because I'm a music teacher. Uh, it's, a, it's a spiritual. The music that, um, of the American spiritual is, is a part of our contribution to the world. Uh, jazz is also part of North America's contribution to the musical world, these genres. Uh, the uh, American musical, the, the version that we do, like uh, Leonard Bernstein's uh, West Side Story with spoken word and singing, there are other, there are, there are, um, it's a, there are ancestors to it, opera buffa and operetta in Europe, but that's really an American construct. So these genres are uh, important for students to know about, and they need to know the American spiritual. And so I choose this music because I'm a music teacher, not because I'm a Christian. 
she was thinking, you know, oh, it's so great that we're singing these Christian words. Well, it's really not. I mean, if the students don't believe it, it doesn't matter. God's not sitting there thinking, oh, look, these non-Christians are singing right on King Jesus. He's not, I mean, you know, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be uh, disrespectful. He loves them. Uh, you know, the Christians that are there singing, and I'm sure it's edifying to the Lord, but, you know, he's not fooled by the, the non-Christians are singing Christian words, you know, so for this student to say, I'm, you know, I'm so glad you choose Christian music, I don't, I'm not choosing it, um, I'm not trying to Christianize what I'm doing, I'm called to be the music teacher here, and that's why, I, has to, I have to have integrity with what I'm doing, and uh, I think it is pleasing to the Lord, and I think it's his work. I think as a, my, my personal mission is to lead students and provide experiences for them with music that are meaningful. That's my, that's my mission statement. And um, I think by doing that, I'm doing the Lord's work. And uh, I'm fulfilling His calling, His vocation in my life. And I don't think I have to do anything more than that, although I'd love to and be willing to. You know. I'll, I'll bring tracks to work. I'll ask students, and a student uh, this fall uh, has a child out of wedlock. Um, was trying to work two jobs and be a music major. He'd go to he'd go to school. He'd go to an evening custodial job. Get up in the morning, work for a tire company, come back to school. I mean, trying to make money to to support his son, trying to finish his degree. Um, I think the Lord. You know, establish a little bit of a relationship there. I tried to follow through with some help for him, scholarship, and uh, said some things to him that obviously um, biblically inspired. Um, I probably have a chance to talk with him more, so I could do that work. But that's not—that's not the only Christian work that I do. Does that make sense? You're doing the work well. Okay. Well, let me just pray for us, and then if you have, if you have some questions, you can ask them. But we'll probably time to go. Heavenly Father, we um, just thank you for this time where we can reflect on the little we know about what it means to live out our Christian faith uh, as followers of you, Father. And uh, we depend on you for that knowledge. We depend on you to lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Any questions or, uh, yeah, anything I said that you want to push back on, or, <laughs> or clarify, or, yeah. Um, so, I'm an English literature major, and I'll probably end up nice. at some point teaching literature, which is kind of similar artistic yeah, absolutely. pursuits. Um, what are some, like, practical tips for when we're talking about, like, picking music? Because in literature, some Christians are like, oh, I couldn't believe you ever think of reading that book, even, or like, yeah. you know, I might be confronted with texts that I think are important to teach, but might have content issues. Hmm. How do you sort of balance that knowing that people know you're a Christian and wanting to not Christianize everything you do, but also be wise and have a good influence and try to keep a good standard? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. It's a great question, Peg. I've been in a lot of literature classes in college where the texts were like, I can't believe we're reading It's like pornography. I can't believe we're reading this, you know. I think it happens more actually in theater and literature than it does in music. But, um, yeah, you know, it's a tough one because there are works that are considered classics that are immoral, you know. Um, I'm not, I, I'm actually not sure how I, I would work that, 
how I would work that through. I think it was in a high school setting. Um, it's nice having students that have gone through Bozeman High and, and uh, having kids, I mean, my own kids. Um, if they have a choice, it's very nice that they have a choice. Um, and if I think you would have to make sure that everything you teach, and I'm sure you would, is uh, from the knowledge of your discipline. That this is why it's good literature. And it, it's not good literature just because people think, oh, it's, uh, it's uh, avant-garde or it's, it's uh, breaking new barriers you know, because they're willing to say this um, immoral thing out loud or something. That's not, that doesn't give it value in and of itself. It has to be very well written according to established literature standards. Does that make sense? And just talk, and, and go ahead, but then I would, I would feel free. You know, this example came up in the last, uh, remember all the talk about um, the baker um, who refused to make wedding cakes if the couple was homosexual? I don't think I'd do that. I'm a, I'm a, bank, I'm a banker. I mean, I'm a baker. <laughs> I'm a baker. I think I would bake the cake. That's my job. And if they're coming in to be my customer, and then if I, if I, um, if it's known that I don't agree with that, but I'm still willing to serve them in that way, I think that's a good witness. So I don't know if that answers your question. I think it's really hard to work through, be case by case.